Diamond Hands. It's Friday, February 26th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news headlines and all the gossipy hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. How's it going, Tyler? So good. (laughs) It rained so much last night. Like, whoa. Yes. I woke up this morning. uh, I was getting my coffee, and I looked out my... uh, I guess kitchen nook window and my pool is wildly higher than it was yesterday. I'm talking like three, four. Oh, inches. It's a yeah. ton of water. And and I was I was blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, that's that is a lot of water that came down in a very short period last night. And then my gaze peered out a little further. Our creek is at its banks and yes. flowing like crazy. It's awesome. Dude, I can only imagine what your creek would have looked like back in 2015 when we had like 45 or 50 straight days of rain. Do you remember that? Yeah. 15. My creek was, uh, it took 10 feet off of the shoreline of my creek in the back. Yeah. It just got well, carried and, away in the water. And that's a, it's, it's and a blessing a and a creek. curse, I guess. What we do, we, we have a, it's a, it's a big creek. It's, it's because of classic man made issues, right? The, the yeah. amount of concrete jungle that is around where I live and the fact that it's expanded in every direction over the last 10 years, you know, with no end in sight, there are two major waterways. Uh, I say major, they're not big rivers by any means, but as far as like small municipal like creeks, right? There, yeah. there are two that come together right before the street uh, that kind of tees off of, of the street that I'm on, right? Yeah. And when it rains, both of those get all the water. And then they converge right before they come into our property. So oh, the wow. backside of my property is actually a hundred year floodplain. But when it rains like this, uh, you know, if it, if it rained for another couple hours, probably last night. Yeah. You had the mighty even Mississippi just back. Then. Got more back. It, it does. It floods, but it <laughs> floods crazy. like it floods like a hundred feet yeah, up I, my property. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's a, it's a huge amount of uh floodplain, just the shape of the property. And I guess the, uh, there's this land right behind the school that we're close to as well. And it's also in the plane. Of course, my neighbor's properties sort of share this. And I've seen pictures from years past. I don't know if it was 2015 or not, but like there's just this giant sudden lake that yeah. forms behind our behind our houses and, and down a bit. Dude, ours crazy. is like if you on a normal when it's not raining, it's like a small babbling brook, right? Yeah. If, no, if, if you get yours. a significant rain, I can go drop a kayak in there. And it's it's like a level two rapid. That's <laughs> awesome. Crazy. Well, one of my neighbors actually um, just down a couple houses. Uh, you know, he's lived here for a long time, and uh, I guess he's got a son or something that's doing some workout in a you know like ranch land property somewhere. He's been bringing in literal truckloads of rock uh, from an excavation at that property and building a dam in our creek which okay. is raising the water level like four feet. Why is he doing that? So that we have fish and stuff in a oh, standing water yeah. environment. It's always moving. Go. like the, yeah, It's always yeah, flowing sure. through. But he <laughs> he basically created this little rock bridge slash dam. Nice. And it, uh, it keeps the water level because he's down creek from me. It keeps the water level behind our house up quite a bit. And I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to have any impact on how badly our, our backyard floods when sure, it floods. Yeah. Because we're Can you imagine five feet when it's already ridiculous amounts of water that comes up yeah. the property line, right? Can you imagine if it was still freezing out? How much snow oh, that would have been? So the amount of snow. rain we got? 
<laughs> I, would, I wonder how many inches we did get last night. I didn't actually look it up, but it, was a it lot, has dude. to have been like three, four inches. Yes, easy. it had to have been. I, I went out nuts. there to go feed my chickens this morning and the whole like hillside, it, you can you can tell when everything just gets washed away, right? And <laughs> right? at the bottom, there's just stacks of mud. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into this here. I was having dinner the other night and I tweeted about this, but my, one of my daughters asked me how we discovered UV light, ultraviolet light. Do you know uh, the answer? I, I did not tweet. know the answer. Uh, how we discovered it? Uh, yeah. No, no, I don't know the history. I had to go look it up. It's actually kind of cool. It was only through an accident. Apparently, uh, there was an are. experiment to test the different temperatures of colored light. So there's a guy, Frederick William Herschel. He channeled sunlight through a prism. He split it into a rainbow and he let the colors fall on different thermometers. He then noticed there was the great, so he could see an increase in temperature Notice there was the greatest increase just beyond the, the red light of the rainbow, right? So the lowest temperatures were on the, the purple side. The highest temperatures were on the red side. And I guess he had a thermometer outside the visible region and uh, noticed the temperature probably was the Probably accidentally, there. right? Like yeah, he, yeah, when accidentally. He was aiming the prism, he probably just accidentally caught one. It was like, oh, why is that so hot? Yeah, yeah. So that's when he discovered so infrared cool. light, right? Light beyond red. And then and so... As soon as you realize there's spectrum outside of what you uh, yep. can see, then then you start to assume that there's a good chance there's spectrum on the other side of what you can see. That's cool. Yeah, well, that was funny because this dude never he never looked to see if there's anything outside the purple side, right? No kidding. Which, which goes on to like if you go out purple, it becomes ultraviolet and then X rays and gamma rays and all that kind of stuff. If you, sure. you know, talking about wavelength and all that. Yep, yep. But uh, Johan Ritter read about this discovery. And, the, and then speculated that there might also be invisible light on the other end of the spectrum, beyond blue lines, right? And blue or purple, et cetera. Apparently, he couldn't pull off the thermometer trick, obviously, because of the increased temperature towards the red. So it doesn't really tell you anything. So he was looking for something that, uh, that, that, that could be affected by potential light outside of it that you can't see or feel, right? It becomes this kind of weird problem where, okay, you can't see an increase in temperature. You can't actually see or feel light that's out there. And apparently, after a bunch of research, he eventually found something called silver chloride. Silver chloride is tarnished. Mm -hmm. It turns black when exposed to sunlight. So he redid this whole spectrum thing, sending light through a prism. And then he found out that it darkened the fastest and the most outside of the, the purple end of the, the spectrum. And then that's cool. ultimately called that light ultraviolet. Which makes sense, that considering yeah. it was right on the edge of... Uh our color spectrum right the, yeah. That, yeah that is cool that's cool i remember uh ritter's name from back in the yeah. physics days he's a german I, chemist yeah i was gonna say i think i remember visiting his lab or some of his stuff in a museum when i was in germany i don't know why that sticks out but it does yeah he was born in 1776 died in 1810 so it was in that uh that timeline i don't know exactly when he figured all this stuff out but I always loved the the way that stuff like that was discovered, you know, um, when they first, uh, and I don't remember all the history here either, but discovering sort of the the concept of an atom, you know, it had to do with the, the gold foil experience uh, experiments and then all the stuff that Archimedes used to do when he was experimenting to try to sort of make predictions or prove some percentage of his predictions through mm -hmm. through testing different theories you know, if i remember correctly archimedes he was one of the first ones that estimated and it was fairly accurate the circumference of the earth's crust 
Yeah, and, and he got it by, within like pretty reasonable yeah, degree. Yeah, real, real, really neat. And and his experiment was well, I know the distance between these two cities. Let's go dig deep holes. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then when the sun is here and the sun is there, right? Like we can we can make an estimate of what that arc looks like. And, yeah, and he nailed it. Uh, stuff like that just blows my mind. It's awesome. There are some pretty crazy stories around that. What is uh, I can't remember the book I was reading recently where it talked about that. Like you would have um, like these French scientists that would travel to the northern regions of South America uh, to mountains in the in the uh, in the equator, right? To try to do all these experiments and whatnot, right? And then and they're gone doing this, and then it takes years of their lives, and something happens and it fails, right? It's just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> such different times, different times. And even the the guy we're talking about right now, Ritter, he died at thirty three, right? Wow, yeah, wow. He's, he's known for some uh, some pretty um, good great advancements in uh, electrochemistry ultraviolet light studied in physics, all that kind of stuff died at 33. That's crazy. He did crazy. a lot more stuff than I feel like I did before 33. Yeah. Yep. That's depressing. Moving on. <laughs> well, anyway, no, you accomplished a lot by 33. I, I didn't mean to agree <laughs> with that. Anyway. Yeah. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, so this is, this was kind of funny, man. I found this article from July of 2009 about flesh eating robots. What? <laughs> yes. Is this like a gray goo fear mongering article? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So it says it says the inventors claim this flesh eating robot is actually a vegetarian. Um, but it's, it goes on to say they developed an unstoppable military robot that powered itself by devouring everything in its path, including trees, grass, and even according to reports, dead bodies. <laughs> Oh gosh! <laughs> You're like what? That's not disturbing but, at all. Yeah, but after a stream of headlines <laughs> that labeled the machine a corpse eater and creepy, the robot's creators have gone on a PR offensive to extinguish the rumor that their invention will feed on human or animal flesh. They named That's it so the machine's hilarious. inventors they called it energetically autonomous tactical robot, therefore known as Eater for short, <laughs> <laughs> and powered by a biomass engine. Uh, he goes on to say, we completely oh, understand awesome. the public's concern about futuristic robots feeding on the human population, but that is not our mission. <laughs> but we will facilitate. <laughs> We're going to make it the anyway. Capacity <laughs> of robots being able to do this. Uh, don't play with fire. Don't this with is fire. how you get the end of the world when Skynet becomes self-aware. It's like, oh, I'm going to start with the yeah. human eating robots. Right. Yeah, they said years for them to figure out that they can put us in a matrix and use us as batteries as opposed to yeah. just consuming us for biomass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Desecration <laughs> of the dead, obviously a war crime under Article 15 of the Geneva Convention. Um, so certainly not something that's that's sanctioned. But uh, anyway, I thought that was funny. <laughs> oh, that is funny. That's really funny and, and pretty goofy, too. Yeah, it's from The Guardian Man. back in 2009. That's Long awesome. before the show started. How, how, how did you even find that? Oh, dude, the internet is a magical place. <laughs> oh, that's that's one way of putting it. Speaking of magic, uh, I've, I've read an article. Apparently, uh, Lego is releasing a an augmented reality, I guess, set of Lego what? bricks, right? And so is it's a it, partnership. Is that with, called Minecraft? Uh, Universal Music, I think. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and it's called Le Lego video v-i-d-i-y-o um and it's you, you you can build like a sound stage and it has some um 
like coding principles where you can actually sort of make your own music video on this Lego soundstage using these AR tiles and of course a smartphone. Um, it sounds sounds really neat, but uh, is it is it bad or does it tell you something that my first response to it was yay Lego? And then when I read in partnership with a you know Universal Music, which just makes yeah. me immediately think of RIAA and everything from yep. that industry, that I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Like, yep. how are they going to ruin this experience for everyone? Was yep. the first thought I had once I got to the partnership with side of it. <laughs> I, I yeah. hope they don't ruin it, but it's terrible that they're they're they have so much baggage in yeah, my dude. mind anyway. No, you're right. I mean, some of these things, you know, obviously with every company, they're going to be trying to think about new revenue streams, right? Well, yeah, we, they're trying to make money. Yeah, sure. how can we make money? That's that's gonna be what it is. The the three M's, right? Make more money and uh and drive value for shareholders and all that kind of stuff. But some of these things that they come out with, and I'm not just talking about Lego, but anybody, no, no, of course. Right? You can really see and feel like no one really thought this through. They just thought, hey, let's sign a partnership here and let's go just kind of make something and see what happens. Yeah. And well, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm all for companies finding new ways to make money, usually because they're bringing sure. something of value to consumers, right? Whether yeah. it's a better but when it doesn't resonate, or something cool that you didn't that you did. But my fear was something like this is that the partner in that partnership with Lego isn't just making that cool toy that everybody didn't know they needed, right? But they're going to somehow be total jerks about it because that's been my experience with something else that they've done for their entire yeah. existence. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see. So it's like, they might have a great idea and they will find a way to ruin the experience in, in an yeah. attempt to, you know, capture a couple more pennies as opposed to building a market off of it. I don't know. It's speaking of ruining the experience. Philosophical. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And this is a little bit philosophical too, but speaking of ruining the experience and trying to drive more revenue, uh, Twitter, they announced the other day that uh, they were going to uh, bring super follow features, let users charge oh. for tweets. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not in. I think it's, yeah. I think that's silly. I think it's a, a bad look. But I, I mean, I get it. I'm all, all for Twitter again, trying to find different ways to, you know, improve revenue, make money. That's fine. It is what it is. I, I don't immediately see the value to the user base of that. I, I see. Yeah value to advertisers, which I guess is kind of Twitter's role. I mean, yeah. I, I guess I forget on a regular basis that social media platforms aren't selling to me. They're selling me to someone, right? Yeah. And so they're probably doing right by their customers. They're just not doing right by their users. And their users maybe don't matter as much. I don't know. It feels dirty anytime something it like does. that happens. Because I know better. what the contract is, but yeah. I don't like it when it's like really just hung out in front of me, right? Yeah, there's aspects <laughs> that feels like that. The, there's aspects of it that I that I could see some value in, right? Uh, there's ways I would change it to make it more appealing to me, but it's there's just like to be able to pay to see tweets. I just don't. It doesn't make sense, right? Now there's there's certain things like they're copying over from Patreon as an example, right? Mm -hmm. Where, which, which we have, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, well, it's and, not and I even, think stuff like that's cool. We don't even they're, send, they're... Yeah. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. Like yeah. there's an aspect of this. If, if there was a, and maybe that's what it is. There's a supporter um, 
concept to it where it's just, if somebody, See, if there's a creator that I know that's out there that like, sure, you don't have a job, they have, you know, they're, they're going after gigs they're and I love what they're doing. And building. Sure. Yeah. 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 Five bucks a month to support them. This is a, you know, I've, I've supported other creators through Patreon sure. before. Maybe this becomes an easy way to do it. But which, just which to, is great. Like that yeah. side of it, I think I think is fantastic. Right. If you want to make it easy, if you want to facilitate, even as a middleman taking a little bit off the top, acceptable, right? There's there's plenty that goes into the the platform, the processing, all of it. Um, if you want to make it easy to facilitate people providing money for a service that they are enjoying on a voluntary basis, I I that feels good. Right yeah. to me, yeah. I'm okay with that because it's it's a choice. But the idea of like paying to see a tweet isn't the same to me. That right. feels like you're putting up barriers to either information or barriers to. Uh, well, it's just it's a barrier. Well, that's the like, way they're why, advertising. Why? It, right? So in in uh, in the mockup here, um, you can go. The concept here is you can go and you can create a tweet that shares information, or a video, or a link to something, or a picture, or something like that. And you can choose to only send it to people that are paying you, right? Oh, so, so it's, it's yeah, exclusive. It's subscriber I mean, it becomes content. Ex- it's, it's yeah, exclusive. subscriber content. It's exclusive content, etc. Yeah. So it's not all of your tweets are behind it, but you can choose some, and then you have to pay no. five bucks a month to be able to have access to this this extra level of stuff. Yeah, I, and I guess I can see both sides of that argument, right? Um, I, I still say my gut is I don't necessarily like it, but I can understand and appreciate why a content creator might want to use something like that basically as a benefit to people that are supporting them. It'd be like sending a coffee cup to people that support you on Patreon as a completely random unassociated example. No, Um, it's it's an appreciation from, from the, you know, the appreciation it's, it's interesting because it's a bit of a feedback loop, but it, I, I get that argument. I, I think it, it's just going to be weird to see how his, this yeah. works or doesn't work out. I, I right. don't know. I can see Here's this going wrong test, so many ways. Yeah, I, I agree. Here's the mental test. So, because I can argue both sides of this, but stop and think, is there anybody that you would pay $4.99 a month nope. to get exclusive tweets from? Nope. I can't think of a single person. And I'm sorry I if that do hurts not have people's any feelings. Of those people. Yeah, that that sounds awful, but no, and I can't I, I think just, of. I don't. And if I flip the if I flip it the other way, right? I try to think about everything from both sides. If I flip it the other way, what in the world would I post or share that would be good exclusive content? Nothing. Like, I I don't know. I would rather it's, just well, but push I think everything that, out I think there. That's anyway. the thing. It, it that's where it's it's a barrier from. I, I don't know. It, again, it feels a little greedy, but it's a barrier to consumption. So if you have something like a podcast that is super successful and Twitter is your way of reaching out to the fans, then you could make the decision to put certain things behind that paywall. And if you have a couple million listeners and 20 of them or 20,000 of them sign up, then you just made a bunch of money. But it doesn't work for anything that isn't already huge and popular. And it's you're you're cutting people out that have been consuming this content. I I don't know. Like I said, I'm torn. I, I like the idea of content creators being able to profit more and i like facilitating the ability for them to profit more i don't think putting barriers up to do it is the cleanest way i I would i prefer something more like a patreon model even if it's not as lucrative yeah it is less 
adversarial, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, but there was something else you, there. It it's just not feels all bad dirty. news. I don't think. I don't know. It does. It, it's it does. anti and, to and what I love knows? about Twitter, right? The, the one yeah, of the things that drew me to Twitter was that I could, right? yeah, I could send a, a message to anybody, right? It doesn't yeah. matter how popular they are or not popular or, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. You can reach anybody that has their it's DMs. It's democratization of voices, right? Yeah, exactly. And then they can share yeah. with the world. Sure. And and it can take yeah I I don't I know it. I think I think stuff like this runs the risk just like some of the you know being able to lock down your tweets and replies and retweets and stuff like that mm-hmm. I think it runs the risk of ruining some of the things that made Twitter such an interesting platform stuff like runaway viral tweets uh, those those become far less likely to happen when you have people that restrict who can see and interact with content. Yeah. And uh, this feels like another way to limit exposure. Um, it's like short-term gains versus long-term gains kind of problems, right? Yeah. And my brain immediately went to that as well. You can make it restricted for a week and then you can unrestrict it. It's like, yeah. okay, that might be an elegant way to get a little of both worlds. But yeah, uh, gut reaction is dirty. Long-term, maybe they find a way to make it useful. And that's uh, it's great. Maybe I'm wrong and they find a, a good way for content creators to actually yeah. get something out of it without totally screwing over the the product us. yep uh, i mean you make a strong point though that's immediately where my brain went i ran over uh, i ran across somebody on reddit um in the twitter um uh communities threads what do they call those the different is it communities in reddit uh no subreddits but subreddits, yeah communities yeah, thank you. is what like, twitter is apparently calling it because that was part of the announcement too right that they're Oh yeah, they're, they're also uh, releasing communities. Yeah, yeah. And but that's anyways. cool. I, I was gonna say, yeah. like that that part of the news is actually really interesting to me. I like that a lot because yes. um the uh um the idea of having the, we've talked about this before. It, it'll be even more cool if we can create like a tech breakfast community inside of Twitter because then it becomes a communication platform where you are talking to a group and it's not, it's not necessarily a wall though. I'm sure they'll put restrictions on who can get into the groups and things like that. Yeah. There'll be some sort of, the problem is that it creates a burden for moderation too, which sure. is fine. It, it, yeah. I don't think there's any way to deal with social media platforms without creating those burdens. If you want to sure. have select communities and you want to keep spam out and, and that sort of garbage, but, but the idea is great. Like subreddits are probably the only reason that I still interact with Reddit at all because I can unfollow stuff that doesn't interest me at all. And I can, I can follow stuff that also has a fun way of bubbling up good content that's related to niche stuff. I mean, that's bowling alleys, right? Who cares? (laughs) Oiling bowling alleys. But but if it weren't for the way Reddit was structured, I never would have accidentally learned how interesting the way they oil lanes is and how dynamic it makes a game that arguably I have no other interest in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. No, but my, but, but my, it's, it's, it's a function of the platform and a function of how yeah. subreddits work. I think that one came out of nowhere in like a science subreddit. Like it was, it's, it's weird because it's not, obviously the, the idea of creating a community, if you make a community about cats, you don't expect posts about dogs, but then occasionally you'll get this weird hybrid post that has something to do with cats and dogs and you're like whoa didn't know that yeah and you go find like eight more sub communities right yeah so, no i'm with you dude i'm, I'm excited about that aspect of on it. that one yeah one of the one of the coolest things that uh that i've seen out of us creating this podcast is connecting other listeners to each other 
and mm-hmm. them developing friendships and, and contacts around the globe uh, throughout the industry. So that's been super cool. And if we can take something where, you know, our, our uh, TBP Twitter account has, I don't know, like 500 and some odd followers or whatever, if those followers can then be in a community and they can talk to each other and get to know each other and, and have conversation easier than just responding to tweets from us, that's, that's pretty cool. Sure. And, and just something else just occurred to me too with this idea of communities. This is probably going to be really, really good for Twitter because we've talked about um, like the community that we have on Twitter is more or less a function of the IT space that we work in, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost an extension of our job. Now it's grown beyond that, well beyond that because of stuff like this podcast, because the longer you're on a platform like Twitter, the more you interact with people, the more you find other people little interesting niches. But when you have communities, it will be easy for somebody that's interacting with Twitter to say, hey, I like woodworking. Finding people that are actually decent for communication on a platform like Twitter that are in the woodworking space, it, it, that's a non-trivial exercise, right? Yeah. You can go find somebody that's talking about it, but you almost you have to find search. a creator somewhere else yeah, and exactly. see if they're on Twitter to, yes. to find their stuff. And that's Twitter's right. like a secondary for that stuff. But when you have communities that mm-hmm. are built around something that concise and that easy to wrap your head around, it will be really straightforward to just go, I want to be part of the woodworking community. And then you will naturally find more circles to communicate in, which will grow your interaction with the platform. I think this is going to be huge for Twitter. Yeah. Too, like th- this will create more interaction with the platform, which is their entire goal, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm crazy bullish on communities. I'm bearish on super follow. So yes, yeah, same. I agree. Same. Uh, it'll be right, kind of cool to got? see, man. Speaking of bullish, oh, Twitter is okay. freaking killing it, dude. Oh, I, in I, the market? Yeah. They, Do you know why? In the last... They said they were going to double their revenue this year by the end of this well, year. Well, yeah, but, it, but that was... They, they went on a tear before that. Oh, really? Basically, right on the tail of U.S. elections, right? When when all of the uh, social media and silencing of voices and, and all the debate that we have covered extensively on our show, they, they took a healthy dip on that sentiment. They're, they're up almost 75% from the dip on the heels of that, oh, which yeah. was way before they made the, the announcement. So go back to like, uh, probably Dude, look at late November or early January. It is wild how how much of a tear Twitter has been on. March of last year, they were down to twenty two bucks. I know. Now they're at seventy eight. Crazy. <laughs> Jeez, it's crazy. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. No, Twitter's killing it, and and I think stuff like this it, that that line's going to go up. I'm not a financial advisor, but I I have a feeling Twitter's going to be making more money here. Yeah. Yeah, current revenue one point two nine billion uh, for their quarter, uh, for their for their final for their Q four of last year. Okay, all right, man. I got some great, news great. that I think you'll find funny. Uh, Apple ah. forced to add iPhone and MacBook repairability scores to comply with French law. So I had to go look it up. Yes, their iPhone twelve Pro gets a six out of ten. A one, <laughs> six out of ten, which I think is generous. <laughs> I think. <it's, laughs> I, I like. I always loved. Uh, was it uh, like iFixit or the with their yeah. teardowns where they actually go through it? And they they would provide a repairability scores for all that stuff. I always enjoyed that. Um, and and I noticed 
the trend was definitely towards, wow, it's like they just had extra glue. So they put more in here, right? Like <laughs> removing certain components was practically an act of God and, and highly likely to damage the device and things like that. I, yeah. I cannot stand the state of consumer electronics and lack of repairability, especially because they seem to be becoming increasingly fragile, which is yeah. absurd, but true. Glass everywhere. What does yeah. glass do? It breaks. How do you fix <laughs> right? it? You don't. You, you don't. buy a new one. And it's very important to our bottom line that it works this way. Oh, so I'm, I'm actually, I'm all over. I don't know. I, we talk about this a lot. I, I don't love regulation, but I am absolutely okay with government stepping in and making laws that say you can't do that because it's reckless for the environment alone. Sure. And it's also just a dick move. <laughs> well, it's it's helpful. I I think it's hilarious to see the repairability scores. Um, that's funny. It's, okay. it's, a, it's a small step, though. Uh, the, yeah, the right sure. to repair is what they really need to do. But yes. then they have to have teeth to force compliance. Because yeah. uh, what was it? I saw a news article the other day. I don't remember which one it was. Now I want to say it was like a like an automobile manufacturer or something. I I cannot remember now what it was. I'll have to find it later. But um, that they they have right to repair laws and basically they just didn't do it you know they were just like eh we're not going to do that we'll take yeah. the fine <laughs> yeah just a cost this, of doing business which i can't stand yeah this one also cracked me up illinois lawmaker seeks to ban grand theft auto game following rise in local carjackings <laughs> <laughs> did you see that ah, one <laughs> no but that's hilarious and stupid yeah, Representative Marcus Evans Jr., a Democrat, has introduced a bill that would amend a pre-existing law banning certain video games from being sold to minors. His amendment would ban Gosh. the sale of games with subject matter, including motor vehicle theft with a driver or passenger present, is the bill. So it's, it has so yet dumb. to be voted on. It's so dumb. In Chicago. I, I, am, I, am a, I don't even hey, play. Chicago. I can't remember the last time I played that game. Um, it, years definitely years and years since I played any of the GTA games, but, um, did it make you want to I, I, steal cars? No, did it make you want to go no, rip people out of cars? No, it did not. <laughs> and it never did. And there's no evidence whatsoever that video games actually have that impact on people. You don't play doom and then put on a spaceship, go to Mars with a shotgun. It's just, <laughs> you wouldn't, if you could, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd put on a spacesuit and go to Mars, but I'm not doing it because of doom. And I'm not going to go hunt aliens because of doom either. And it's easy to make the argument. It's like, well, yeah, okay. Ha ha ha. Created basically a straw man there. But the point is there's no evidence to support those kinds of video games actually resulting in increases. They aren't the cause of the increase. Yeah. It's probably devastating financial situations more than anything else right sure (laughs) i i don't know what yep i'm not an economist but i think that's silly yeah what else you got anyways what else what else uh shoot what did i see Uh, oh fries man i know with this one all over twitter this is a sad story fries electronics i don't know everybody certainly doesn't have them because they didn't have that many stores but there were when I think of fries, dude, I think of you and me in high school going to I buy know. RAM or I know. You know video games or whatever. Whatever components, sure. No, fries. I, I tweeted this, but I feel like fries was basically my adult candy store, right? Like it I felt like a kid in a candy store every time I went in there. And and it was what what saddens me more than anything else, because they've definitely been on a decline and 
I don't really do the personal computer building stuff as much as I, yeah. I used to is they were one of the last sort of bastions of accessibility to small electronic components. If you want to go get a capacitor or a resistor or a potentiometer or, or any of, of the, you know, Wait, variable what? potentiometer, little, did you make uh, that up? You, no, potentiometer is a real, that's not what I meant to say that I was just talking about pots, uh, variable resistors. Um, I got to look that up. But, uh, a three terminal um, resistor with a sliding or rotating contact that forms an adjustable voltage divider. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. I did not know it, about it, that. I thought I thought, thought I got my word wrong. That's it's a pot. They're called pots. So they, yeah, no, you got yeah, it right. They can adjust voltage. Um. Anyways, uh, you could get you could get these things at Radio Shack before it became the Shack and before it died. And it, you got to realize, like, electric components like that are inherently incredibly inexpensive because they produce billions of them because large producers are obviously putting them into devices at scale. Um, you could get them for pennies, and and, and I. Two pennies is arguably 200% of what it should cost, sure. but obviously they have to make money off of it, yeah. right? So so a retail outlet for small quantities of these things is already like a five cents is a lot for a yeah. resistor. Yeah. Um, but it was still smaller than getting a hundred from Amazon for like $20 when you need two. <laughs> yeah. And so Fry's was the last place I remember being able to go and get that kind of stuff. And uh and now I'm bummed because as, as accessible as it is on Amazon and, and other online retailers or online retailers, uh, shipping always destroys the, the value proposition of small, uh, small electronics, right? Yeah. And, um, and then your, your only other option is to order, you know, like direct from China or something like that, where it's being produced, where maybe shipping is free, but it's three and a half weeks from now before you get it. Yeah. And you have no idea what quality it's going to be until it shows up. Let me <laughs> let me take this time to thank you for helping me build my first computer all those years ago. Hello. Thank you for teaching oh, me. Man, I think I remember that. Did when did did we do that on the floor in my house? Yeah. I thought so. And then yeah. you carried that tower home. Yep. Here we are. Crazy. All these years later. All right. That. So uh speaking of building PCs, so Dell's uh, earnings report was yesterday. They announced they shipped, uh, it's like 50 some odd million PCs. If you break that down, they shipped one and a half PCs every second in 2020. Wow. There's a lot. That's, that's nuts. That is a lot. This, uh, the pandemic is, is the year of the laptops, right? Yeah. Obviously, yeah. Dell was in a great position to capitalize on that. I'm sure HP did well and, and Apple, no doubt. It well. was crazy. From a quantities perspective, I can, I can imagine. Even I bought another PC for the it. first time in a while what? last year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, 11 year old, Check right? School at home. Uh, no, it was, yeah. it was a $300 desktop, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, cool, man. Um, That's awesome. What, what, what else? else? You got on? something or do you want me to drop another one? Uh, actually, I did read an interesting one, um, and it makes me want to go read the rest of the IPO documentation from Coinbase. But apparently, in Coinbase's IPO, uh, one of the risks that they highlight, or, or a couple really, are around um, Satoshi, Satoshi Nakamoto, which is the uh, the, the ghost fictional name, the, famed yeah. right uh, creator of Bitcoin, right? And what they say is that so Satoshi Nakamoto is you know it, it's not we don't know who it is, right? Um, and the, the risk that they highlight is that if, if they make themselves known, or if as the first miners of Bitcoin, having, uh, I think a million Bitcoin or something like that, they've got $30 billion in Bitcoin, right? If they move it, 
either of those things could be very bad for Coinbase and, and catastrophic for the for Bitcoin in general, which yeah. really is the entire uh, uh, crypto coin industry, because a, a good part of what has driven the value of Bitcoin up is scarcity, right? So it, it is it an inflationary uh, protected asset and 30 billion of it suddenly showing up or being associated with an individual is a sort of catastrophic liquidity event, even if they don't go selling all of it. Yeah. And, and I hadn't considered it, but that's wild. And that, yeah. that is roughly, it's like worth something like $30 billion. It's not me. So I'll tell you that. <laughs> nor me. <laughs> I'd have Maybe a better Russ. mic. <laughs> yeah. You would have a better have a nice mic. mic. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, anyways, funny. I thought that was really neat, and it, it makes me want to go kind of read the rest of that IPO because I'm sure there's a lot of really interesting information. Um, it, it, I would imagine, to some extent, though I can't say I've read a lot of IPO documentation, they they have to discuss some of the other risks and some of the other ways that they make money, right? Because that's yes. part of the IPO process. So. I've read some really interesting things about how coins get listed or don't get listed on Coinbase in the past. And it sounds like they're very aggressive about how they sort of negotiate putting the effort into supporting different cryptocurrencies because it's fairly simple for, uh, what is it, Uh, an Ethereum-based currency to be integrated into a platform because you've already sort of got the infrastructure, the understanding of how Ethereum works. Yeah. So uh, what is it? EC20 mm-hmm. is that baseline. It, it's how how it, they all function effectively the same way. Yeah. Which underneath. they're moving to a second version. We probably need to talk about that at some point on the show. E2. Yeah, I, I need to do a little more research. But yeah, the Ethereum 2.0 upgrade a little is, while, but yeah. it's going to take a hot minute. Exactly. <laughs> um, what is it, like two years is what yeah. they assume it will take if you're staking? Anyways, yeah, we, we should get into that. But but other currencies function quite differently to uh, Bitcoin. And and so proof of stake, proof of work versus proof of work. Proof of work is how uh, Bitcoin works. Um, and that's, that's where you get the machines doing math, mining. That's how the miners make money for the transactions. It's all integrated into that proof of work concept. Uh, proof of stake is a little bit different than that. Then there's also stuff like Block Lattice, IOTA, Nano. They, they function more like that. Um, very fast, very low fee, but very little incentive for yeah. you know miners. So how do you, how do you maintain the decentralization? It, adoption really is the answer. But adopting those currencies, right? Something that works so different from a proof of work or proof of stake requires more development effort. And there's costs associated with that. And the way that Coinbase guarantees they make money has to do with how they negotiate, you know, kind of with those coin operators, the developers of that cryptocurrency, I guess. And it, it sounds very, very interesting. And it's something that I'm super curious about. So I'm uh, kind of eager to get into yeah. it. Yeah. Let me drop two things here. Um, number one, if you're trying to trying to understand more about Bitcoin, there's a good website to go to 50kbitcoin.com, 50k just the letter and then bitcoin.com. It is, uh, it's published by blockworks.co. Uh, right at the top, there's a Bitcoin white paper. It's like nine pages, go read it. Uh, and there's a bunch of other you know strategy videos and then a bunch of opinion pieces listed after that if you, if you wanna go look into some of that. The other thing is um, you, you may have heard of uh, Satoshis or Sats, uh, et cetera. For those of y'all that are unfamiliar, um, that is one 100 millionth of a Bitcoin. 
So if you're reading into some of this, some of that might throw you off. One Satoshi equals, you know, 0.0000000001 BTC or whatever, whatever that right number is. Okay, cool, good. Uh, what else we got? We need to shut it down. There's a uh, there's a drone update. There's an FAA thing, but I think let me let's save that for maybe next week. There's new regulations around uh, requirements for remote IDs and all this kind of stuff. But I don't oh, have enough time to get into it before the end of the show here. No, no, we don't. And, and there's another one that I want to talk about, but we'll uh, we can um, we can talk about it when Russ is back in the show because uh, there was there's more action in the. Um, Apple Epic Saga with as it relates to Steam and, and what information needs to be released. But uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to leave that as a teaser. Okay. Get well, Russ. Get well, bud. Yes, indeed. We miss having you on the show, buddy. I know that's that's been dragging you down hard, dude. Get well, get back. And I think that brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Ah, just the two of us again, Aaron got to get Russ back in health so he can come join us and get all excited and stuff. Either that or I'm going to have to drink more coffee in the morning and bring more energy for both of us. Anyways, we, we hope everybody had a really great week and uh, we hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. And we'll talk to you on Monday. Peace.